As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. the athletic football show today's monday april 4th i'm robert mays joining me today it's athletic staff writer nate tice nate how you doing buddy i'm feeling very official i feel like this is a whole new age for us but yes i'm very excited to be joining the athletic full-time still listening to the same church's song before (laughs) before we podcast that hasn't changed about me but i'm very excited we just had an extended church's conversation before we started recording about their career trajectory. I think yours kind of mirrors theirs. Just yeah. very fast, very deserved, though. I'm very For proud sure. of you, buddy. And I'm Thanks. so happy that you're a part of this full-time now. I, you, I'm going to ruin your life with how much I'm going to bug you to, to do stuff for the show. So it's fantastic. People can read you now on The Athletic. You're going to be doing a ton of draft coverage yes. for the site. Nothing is going to change with how often you're on this show. If anything, you're going to be on it more. So anybody that's worried about that, don't be. A little bit later on today's show, Deontay Lee, who also is a newly minted athletic staff writer, is going to be joining us a little bit later. Our idea for today's show was to do this year's draft class, was to look at this year's draft class and just the NFL draft in general through the lens of some schematic trends in the NFL. So where the league is going, how does this group of players and prospects intersect with that? We were going to do the offensive side of the ball with you and then chat about the defensive side of the ball with Deontay. He knows actual things about defense like we don't, so it's great to be able to pick his brain all the time now. So we're going to get to Deontay a little bit later. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we have some news to dig into right before we started recording. At least it was before we started recording this time and not after. Big time news with a trade in this year's draft. Not surprisingly, two teams known for doing this are trading up and down. The Saints (laughs) trade up in the 2022 draft. They get number 16, number 19, and number 194 from the Eagles, who now get 18, 101, a 2023 first-round pick, and a 2024 second-round pick. That's a lot. So pretty simply here, the Eagles have traded away one of their first-round picks to the Saints, essentially. And gotten a third rounder and then picked up a first next year and a second the year after that. Timo Risk from PFF did a very quick bit of math. If you value later picks less, 
it's a pick in the 40s about for the Eagles that they get from moving down here. If you want to value them a little bit more, which I think we could, it's about a pick in the 20s. So the Eagles get value. Mm -hmm. When you trade down, you get value. That's Mm -hmm. how this works. So (laughs) I want to parse how much value and what the motivations for these teams might be. So for Philly, right? It makes sense for them to do this. They have three first round picks. So why, when you saw this, my first thought was, of course they did this. They've wanted to do this. What was your initial reaction from the Eagles perspective here? You kind of hinted at it. Like these two teams make sense. Saints trading up, Eagles trading down. Like it's like, Yep, let's let's dance. They're two of the most trade happy teams in the league. If you look at it, the most trade happy teams in the draft over the last four years have been the Patriots, who trade up and down a lot, actually. They trade up more than you think they do. The Seahawks, the Rams, who also trade down a lot. Mm -hmm. They're just very trade happy. The Eagles and the Saints. The Saints, those are the teams that trade the most in the draft. The Saints, since 2011, I believe this is Mickey Loomis's 16th trade up. That is the most in the NFL. They have never traded down. <laughs> That's amazing. In, in that span. They have never traded down. So very on brand. But anyway, he's, from Philly's perspective, why does this make sense to you? He's the opposite of Dave Gettleman. Uh, oh, it's incredible. It's yeah, incredible. That's amazing. Uh, now, for the Eagles, it, it just, it's, hey, we got, let's get as many assets as we can. We had three this year on the teens. So you're in kind of a weird spot. You know, it's the eye of the beholder range as far as kind of value, what you get in the teens as far as those picks. So I can see why they're doing this. Hey, we maybe they don't like a quarterback. Maybe they do like a quarterback this year, whatever. They're going with Jalen Hurts, but they have bullets to build up their defense, to restock, get another pass catching option. And now taking that third pick, maybe they're like, okay, we don't really like a third guy. We have all of our middle rounders anyways. All right, let's just get more assets for down the road. Let's get another big pick. Let's get another couple big picks for down the road. Just more asset accumulation. So that just makes all the sense in the world. Uh, the Saints, though, it's interesting because it's just, we'll talk about it in a sec, but it's just, it's very Saints-like to do this because that means they maybe have an eye on a guy. So let's talk about the Eagles from yeah. here for yeah. a second, all right? So uh, two things for me from Philadelphia's perspective. One, you avoid three fifth-year options in the same time. Yes. Right? So those are going to be bigger contracts. You push that into a future year so you don't have to worry about all of those decisions piling up at the exact same time five years from now. So I think that makes sense. You get yourself that coveted extra first-round pick. Mm-hmm. There's a chance the Saints are not good. Right. <laughs> like, and there's always a chance that it can go off the rails with the first-round pick. Yep. When the the Texans traded those first round picks, when they had Deshaun Watson, the thought was they're going to be good. Like yeah. they have a top six ish quarterback. Those picks right? will be in the twenties, yeah. And it was an, it was a top five pick. Russell Wilson. The Seahawks traded those picks picks to the Jets in the Jamal Adams deal. Yep. Think, oh, Russell Wilson's there. There's no Forever. way the Seahawks will be bad. Russell Wilson gets hurt. That's a top ten pick. Yep. So there's always uncertainty with that. And for the Eagles, you're betting against the Saints in this situation, mm-hmm. but you're also betting on the quarterback class next year potentially. Yes. Now you have two first-round picks in a class that universally is more liked from a quarterback perspective. Mm-hmm. So even if you want to give Jalen Hurts this year, now you have the ammunition for next year. Yep. The funniest part, though, is a lot of teams have the ammunition next year. Five teams already, five, have multiple first-round picks in the 2023 draft. Okay. The Eagles now do, yep. the Texans, okay. the Dolphins, the Seahawks, and the Lions. So five teams, uh-huh. all of whom theoretically could be in the quarterback market next year. Mm. So there are teams with assets and potentially motivation to go get one of those guys. It is going to be fireworks next year to see what happens with that entire situation. But you have to arm yourself. Yeah, You have to give yourself that sort of firepower 
to make this move. And with the Eagles, I just think that Howie Roseman's in a certain situation where he's got job security. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're building something. They're in a weird place where they were a playoff team last year, but they're not as close as that might indicate. They have aging parts of the roster. I mean, this makes total sense from their perspective. This is the patient, analytically correct decision of which you would expect from Philadelphia. And I think it totally aligns with their timeline, their interests, and where they need to be a year from now if they say, you know what, Jalen's not the guy. He probably earned another year, but that's what he earned. And at this time next year, it's very possible that they know they need somebody else, and now they have a chance to go do that, whether it's in the draft or in the veteran market to see however that ends up shaking out. And as we've realized, it's building the roster so it's attractive and having bullets to make a a move. However, those bullets are fired, (laughs) either moving up in the draft or moving back in the draft, getting more stuff if you want to just keep kicking the can or moving it to get another guy. We Eagles were kind of tagged as a team to watch for maybe the QB market. All those picks end up in the teens. That's not as sexy. And so they now it's next year. What if that pick, what if they're in the teens with their pick again and the Saints are pick eight? That's very movable to pick two, pick there three. You, go. you never, yeah. And also, oh, guess what? We also have an extra second rounder the next year. Oh, we'll just use that. Throw that in there. None of them are our picks anyways. It's just asset accumulation. It makes so much sense. You very narrowed it down like, or broke it down great because like next year with that draft class, there's already guys that we know names of already leading into that class and you never know who crops up. Totally. You never know. That's what the QB classes are. They fluctuate so much. Every every class of every position, but especially quarterbacks. So it just makes all the sense in the world. Just getting on a, a more of a timeline. The fifth year option thing. That's another great call. Also, just like, hey, we're in a nice spot. Do we really need another rookie? Maybe we, you know, do we really need another guy that maybe we don't love? Because there's a lot of guys in that pick fifteen through 60 range that are very interchangeable as far as grades. So it's like, do we need another one of those guys that we take a chance on that we have to pay more than really we'd prefer to get a pick 42, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes all the sense in the world for the Eagles, for the Saints too. It's very interesting because of how many timelines they can go on because they're in a weird kind of win now-ish mode as far as some of their roster and also just like some, it's getting more expensive. And now they're having to have like, part ways with some of their stalwart guys like a Teron Armstead and all that. They're trying to figure out the quarterback situation. Jameis Winston gets hurt again. Eagles are going to be very happy. (laughs) You know, you never know what they're going to go for that. So this, this to me, the the move that they just made, if it's not for a quarterback, I think it's a pretty big mistake. I agree. You don't know how the draft is going to fall. Yes. So now you just, when the, Niners did this last year, or even when the Eagles, the Dolphins did it last mm-hmm. year. The Niners are moving up to three, and we know who the first two picks are. They had to pay out the nose to go do that, but there was certainty in the move that they made. Yeah. When the Dolphins were going to six, there are only so many guys, yeah. right? I mean, if you're doing that for Jalen Waddle, even in the moment, you're either getting Jalen Waddle, Kyle Pitts, or Jamar Chase, yes. most likely, with the yep. move that you just when, made. When there's a bunch of so, quarterbacks at the top, that means all the other positions start falling down. So. <laughs> now you're doing this for 16 and 19. Yeah. Who the hell knows yep. what those picks are going to look like or who's going to be there? I mean, theoretically, Mina made this point on Twitter, and I thought it was interesting. They get ahead of the Chargers, who also need a tackle and a receiver in the same way that the Saints do. Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty big premium to pay to jump one team when there are 15 guys that go off the board in a draft where everyone has admitted they don't know shit no one knows about anything. who's going to go anywhere because of how the valuations are all over the place. Yeah. So this just feels to me like they're trying to make a big jump up there for somebody, yep. whether it's a quarterback or somebody else. 
if it's for somebody else, I'd be, I don't know how I'd respond. Like, who would that be for? If it's for a quarterback, I guess it can make sense. But, you know, we don't love any of the quarterbacks here. So I know how this ends up going is fascinating. But I have to assume that they're not done making these moves. Yeah, this feels like the first domino fall. Like, and, And that's the thing, like you just said, with the 49ers moving up to pick three. The draft started at three last year. I mean, more or less. We all kind of, I mean, the odds of Zach Wilson being the number two pick were at like minus 900, like with a month <laughs> with a month ago before the pick or before the draft started. So when you're in those teens, it's, I mean, when, when it's a heavy quarterback draft or a good quarterback draft, the other positions value, you get better value at the other spots just because of the, the, premium that quarterbacks get paid or looked at so this draft okay terrible quarterback class by all accounts doesn't matter who you are all the other positions there's a lot of guys it's not a great draft class to have a top five pick but it's a great draft class to have these teen picks but you don't move up for that i don't know it's a it's very interesting i could see this going down several paths but i just highly 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 think it's unlikely that it's for a different position other than quarterback yeah, it just feels like that's on the horizon. Here. Yeah, and I could be totally wrong, yeah. but that's the sense that I get. Why you do it now? That's with what not is. knowing who's going to be available. If it was the day to be, if it was during the first round, it'd be like, oh, okay, okay. But it was like, yeah, they want so and so. There's a receiver they love. You yes. know, there was a tackle that fell. It's like, yeah. oh, we have those spots. Hey, we want to win now. We yep. can have those two guys slot in right away. Yeah, but to do it this early, it there's just signaling. I don't know. My spidey sense is going off. Yeah, so. If you're a team like the Jets or the Giants, potentially, right? Like you have those two first round picks in the top five or top 10. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense for you to want to trade with the Saints, yes. right? If they want to go up into one of those, now you go down to 16 and 19 mm-hmm. and you hopefully can find a partner to continue to trade down yep. and continue to stockpile assets so you can potentially at a certain point go get your quarterback next year if you want to. If you're the Giants. If yeah, you're the Jets, yeah. then this is... I hope you're not doing that. But if you're the Giants, then that's what you would love, right? Yeah. Like, let's continue to stockpile assets and yep. give ourselves a chance. I mean, think about... Again, we're going to make this connection a million different times with the Giants and the Bills. Think about how the Bills got Josh Allen. They traded up multiple times. It's kind of one of the more fascinating movements into the top 10 in recent memory. Because remember, they traded Cordy Glenn. Oh, and so they yeah. traded Cordy Glenn to the Bengals. And they That's moved right. up in that move from like 21 to 12 mm-hmm. and then eventually moved up into the top 10 to go get Josh it Allen. Meandered their way up there. They <laughs> so, and that's, but that's what you have to do. Yep. Right. Like if you pick up an extra second here, you move up eight spots here, you move up eight spots there. So if you're the Giants and you're looking at what I assume is like a not rebuild necessarily, they yep. have a lot of players under contract, but they can remake the roster in whatever they wa- yes. whatever way they want next year. Hopefully, you want as many resources exactly <laughs> as many resources you can possibly stockpile. So yeah. I assume in this draft where there isn't a ton of true blue chip talents, yep. you'd be able to find a willing trade partner in the top ten. I don't think that would be hard if you're New Orleans making some calls right now. Yeah. And especially what you're saying with 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 the Giants, maybe though their second pick, the Jets that pick 10, all these guys. And that shoot, even a team like the Falcons who need players. They're at pick Oh, eight. that's a perfect one. Oh I know. So but, imagine, but here's the thing. But you don't here's know the they might not give me two. <laughs> well here's the question, right? Oh indivisional. Not even that. My thing is you want to get ahead of Carolina, right? Yes. Because it, the whole point of this would be to remove four, uncertainty. Yeah. So you want to be able to know you're picking a quarterback before anyone else is picking a quarterback. Yep. I would have to assume the Lions are not going to pick a quarterback at two. I don't think so. 
I, I would, I, that's my assumption here. So yeah. if you're looking at it, then Carolina is the most likely team in the top seven to pick a quarterback. You want to get ahead of them. Yep. Makes sense to try to make a move with the Giants. That's a great call. That's a great so, call. I know. Uh, it's it's oh, it's fascinating. We're a month out. <laughs> it's not even again. I just in the back of my mind though, it just feels like there's something else coming. Right, Agreed. something else coming down the pipe. It's the All first. Right. Of, it's the first of several moves. It, it was the the red paper clip. You know that that's what it always feels like with these trades. Some of these trades, especially with the Eagles, do how they. This was from the Carson Wentz trade originally too. So it's funny how they're turning this into pick after pick after pick after pick just from the Carson Wentz deal. The Eagles have gotten really good value out of all of this stuff. I mean, this is how you should do it is what the Eagles are doing right now. Agreed. They put themselves in a really good position. With the Saints, it's, I mean, this is the most on-brand shit ever. It is. So far, it's been fine. But at a certain point, you're living dangerously when you continue to do this kind of stuff. If it's for a quarterback, we've always said these trades for quarterbacks are often justifiable. In a weak quarterback class, maybe a little bit less so, Mm -hmm. but... We've been wrong before mm-hmm. about which quarterbacks are going to be good and which Absolutely. aren't. The capital is typically understandable if it's for a quarterback. So that that changes the conversation entirely. If they trade up and take like Sauce Gardner, then it's a different. Yeah, then we're having a different conversation <laughs> on draft night here. Even if I like him, yeah, it's that's not about but the quality of the player. No, it's, it's about not. the process behind it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this. So here's what we're gonna do. With both you and Deontay, I'm going to have you guys lay out three or different, three or four different trends on your respective side of the ball that you think could help us better understand and help inform this draft class and some of the players that might be in demand. So just throw your first one out for me. What is a trend that you think has kind of crept up over the last couple of years on offense in the NFL that has kind of changed the way that you look at this draft class. It, oh, and this is, I mean, this is kind of like our motto of this show, but it's, uh, or, or really one of our main talking points of the show. So much of the cool innovation that's really happened in the NFL has been on the defensive side. Of the, I would say innovation, but the trend and the next steps that I've been yes. taking in modern NFL. Deontay's part of this show is more interesting than yours. It is, but <laughs> that's, it was, and why I'm saying that is when I was doing the offensive stuff, it was, I had to start with what the defense is doing. Sure. Okay, which is okay. But, but yeah. And then I had to project, oh, they, they get paid too, is pro- <laughs> now project why, what I think offenses are going to do. What's the swing back? How is the pendulum going to swing back? Because that's what it does. That's what's so fun about football and really sports uh, just swinging back and forth between this this being the outlier everyone copies it this being the outlier everyone copies it etc cetera, etc cetera. but number i was one, having a conversation last summer with nathaniel hackett when yeah we were i was up in green bay and we were i was talk, talking to him for a story and the excitement in his voice as he was saying the exact same thing that you just said about like why it's cool because it's cyclical and it all comes back around and history informs itself mm-hmm. and it's incredibly fun i mean that it's the nature of what drives interest from our side of this right and why i'm even more excited because of my first point and this is because this is this is a tradition some what's fun and this can be kind of a theme of uh, all of my points being made is because of that uh, the cycle the of all of this the the time is a flat circle of all this is big arm quarterbacks are back baby and <laughs> that is gonna be my first point they're always in vogue don't get me wrong everyone wanted when I picture an old school '90s big arm quarterback, I picture like a Drew Bledsoe guy that can't move outside of his own shadow, but he can throw that ball 80 yards flat footed and you know make all the throws to the field. And but I'm going to say why I'm saying all this is uh, the quarterbacks have to be more athletic than ever right now. But can your quarterback push the ball down the field to threaten defenses? And why I believe that is a, a point of emphasis and what you're going to look at all these quarterbacks and what I'm viewing some of these guys through this lens is because you see the limitations crop up with these quarterbacks that don't push the ball. 
the Jimmy G's of the world, that they are super accurate. They throw on time. They do all that. But if you're not going to threaten the defenses vertically now, they, that you're playing right into their hands. Defenses so let, that, me, oh, let me ask you this, because mm-hmm. this, is, this seems counterintuitive to yep. me. Because if we're shifting to a world where there's going to be more too high as like a regular baseline of playing defense, it feels like being able to surgically attack teams underneath is important in that world. How do I square those two things? Why do why in a more too high centric world are big arm quarterbacks even more invoked? Because you're right. Like you yep. see the guys that have emerged. That's true. But why? Because on its face, that seems mm-hmm. like a contradiction. Yeah, and it does. It's it's. Defenses, they want, they're playing top down now more than ever. And they want to, what they call, they want you to throw the ball into the kill zone, which is throw the ball underneath and they rally to tackle. They are willing to let you take that six yard gain as long as it's not an explosive. They're trying to limit explosives. So <laughs> I think in anything in life, anything in sports or competition is, what does my opponent not want me to do? Okay, well, defense are saying, don't beat us over the top. So what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to try and attack you over the top. And with two high defenses, it's kind of a funny thing. It's more that shorter intermediate areas they're trying to take away. I shouldn't say that because backside digs, but deep balls and run game is kind of like where you can see it swing back a little bit. It's going to look very North Turner style offenses, Mike Martz style offenses, all these seven step vertical concepts, because what the defenses want you to do. And yes, attacking underneath and being accurate underneath is always going to be important, but then after a while, defenses will get smarter, just like a, a, a batter. I, I brought this up last week. We're talking about the quarterbacks, just like a batter. And you're like, that guy comes out of the gate, a rookie, you know, a Chris Bryant comes out, boom, boom. He's getting after every pitcher coming at, but the pitchers start p- figuring out, oh man, he can't hit the changeup. He can't hit the curveball. Hey, on two strikes. Why you got to mention Chris Bryant? Why I don't know why. Do He's a Vegas guy. So I <laughs> I think he was in my, on my mind now. I've heard so much about local star Chris Bryant. So maybe he went to Colorado. I, I was kind of surprised about that. But anyways, is that because of all that, going is fine. They're like going, okay, you, you attack underneath. We'll rally and tackle for your gain. Now offenses have to attack explosive plays with efficiency being a secondary victory condition. It is, do we get that 16 yards through the air? And then if we all, if we only check it down and get the four yards and that's an efficient gain. Okay. That's fine. That's kind of a secondary goal. I believe now just because of how defenses are thinking too. They're like, you can be efficient and check it down, be a check down. Charlie, this quarterback's not going to be able to be patient the entire game. So you got to create chunks. And I think what I think a lot of teams are going to look at what, and it's nothing new. It's just how they emphasize it, what the Rams did. And, and I've mentioned this before, all that empty stuff and being in a seven step attack from an empty formations and how they went about it with the chip help and all that. I think teams are going to look at that and go, we got to get to those old school concepts, the Y, the Y cross, the sales, the scissors with all these big, big routes, deep routes. And I think why you need that is because you're trying to threaten the defenses down. So you let everything breathe underneath. It's a, it's passing to set up the pass, which is yep. in a weird way. That's what it is though. Attack well, down I think the field so you can, you can find something that's at 10 yards. So they don't just, a robber just, and just smoke the guy that's underneath. I have a lot of things that, that, that what you just said brought to mind. One with the Ram side of this, the Rams understood that those condensed formations that they were living in, we're actually helping teams that were living in more of that too high world. Yep, You're actually playing into their hands if you condense down the formations and you don't spread the defense out. So I think that has been a direct response. So I think that makes total sense. The, uh, there are two plays that come to mind when, when you're talking about this. One is the missile shot from Josh Allen in that Chiefs game. Oh, yeah. Where we're sitting there the whole time being like, when are they going to go over the top of this? Because that's what they want you to do is mm-hmm. live underneath like that. And then he hits that missile shot to Gabriel Davis. And that's the threat that 
defenses have to worry about and the changes the way that they play. And then the other one is that post touchdown from Green Bay against the Rams two years ago in the playoffs, where that's the pass to set up the pass, right? You're they're playing, they're squeezing on things, they're playing hard downhill, and eventually when they get impatient then you can beat them over the top like that. And yes. that ability to do that, I think, makes total sense. And the whole thing is it it, it seems so simple to say, well, now big-arm quarterbacks are in vogue. Now we should want big-arm quarterbacks. And people, I think a natural response to that would be, well, haven't we always wanted that? No. Yeah. because <laughs> that's That was my original point, too. It's like, yeah, oh, no shit, but kind of went away from it. Sorry, I interrupted well, you. Well, think but, about yeah. <laughs> what quarterbacks looked like. Think, And this is always – the NFL works in, I think, archetypal ways where you have guys that are successful and then you have people chasing that type yeah. of person, whether it's it, head coaches right now. That's why head coaches all look the same, and yeah. that's problematic in more than one way. Yep. But everyone's, I want my Sean McVay. Yep. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady ruined quarterback play yep. for like 15 years because every single person wanted Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking of this type of quarterback. And Peyton Manning was a physically gifted quarterback like when yep. he was younger. But you still want this like cerebral surgeon to play the position. And now it's like we want big guy throw far. And, be- and it's really helpful. And so that pendulum swing, I think, is worth pointing it's- out because it might seem obvious, but it's not based on what teams have been chasing for the previous 10 years. Yeah, it's funny how... <laughs> How much like Favre has become more of the archetype of what you want now, <laughs> and then instead of like Peyton, even though you know not mentally and stuff like that, but just how Favre created play, go get a bucket, big arm, all that stuff. That's Favre to a T. So it's just kind of funny how because no one has ever used Brett Favre as teach tape <laughs> because <laughs> no one in the history of time because he just is Brett Favre. He just does it his way, and I think that's exactly right. Is now is everyone just thought, oh, one, two, three, ball's out every single time, and ball goes to the perfect spot every single time. When Mac Jones was coming out last year, that was, okay, he was super accurate. Everything came out on time. But I, I, I saw some people going, well, Drew Brees wins this way. It's like Drew, Drew Brees has 20 years of NFL reps to build on. Yes. Of course he can win this way now, but when you're entering the league now, it has to be different. You have to win in other ways unless you are just a superhuman of super. Drew Brees' stats when he was a rookie – like Drew Brees' stats over his first two years are like historically bad. Yeah, like historically I, bad, and wrote, that that it. difference. And we've we had this conversation a lot of times in the show. But those guys came up in a world. I mean, think about when they were drafted. Peyton Manning was drafted in 1998. Drew Brees was drafted in 1990. or 2000. Might have been 2000. Might have been 2000. 2000. Tom Brady was drafted in 2000. So all those guys were drafted at a time where you could attempt like. 375 passes mm-hmm. as a young rookie quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger was the same way. Go look at Ben Roethlisberger's stats that's, in, that's during his rookie weird. season in 2004. He throws the ball like 17 times a game. You could live that way. Mm-hmm. You can't be that anymore. Nope. You can't protect your quarterback in that way. So you don't have those conditions where guys are protected and insulated with their offense in a run game. Even Russell Wilson, to a certain extent, yep. was like that early in his career. And I think that that's just really difficult to do. It's hard to protect and marginalize your quarterback that much in 2022 and still be a relatively good team. Yeah. So I just think that those circumstances are much harder to replicate. And this is what's always uh, – when I was at Wisconsin, I, I was always curious. We didn't run any quick game at Wisconsin, I, I like anything. We didn't run stick. We didn't run anything because we had a run game. And that was Coach Chris's uh, his, his thinking, and I, a lot of people, a lot of offense guys will think this way, is quick game was originally the – it was – Pass to set up the run. That was the whole West Coast thinking with quick game. Was we're going to throw slants and flats and stick routes and just get the ball out. Quick outs. Everything's out. 
because now we don't have to now we don't have to run the ball. That's how we're attacking horizontally and shorter. And now what's happening is defenses they adapt over time. Everyone has gotten used to defending quick game and defending this type of attack. So now it's reverted back to okay, well now we have to run the ball to attack the short area. How do we attack down the field? So it's almost like you don't want to be redundant and say we run the ball and we run quick game. It's like I always felt that's like a re- when offenses do that, it's very redundant because you already are attacking that way. Yes, you're always going to need some aspects of quick game. You're always going to need aspects of running the ball, but kind of majoring in those two things. And I think now is with quarterbacks have to throw the ball 40 plus times a game in a normal game script because that's what they were trying to replace the run by throwing quick game. That's what that was just the thinking. This is just all kind of like theory and philosophical looking at an offense. But now, as I think teams are going to reemphasize, and this is going to bring us to another point that I'll have down the road, but teams are going to reemphasize running the ball because defense is sitting in too high. It's more friendly to run the ball. It's just the box counts are better. So if we can run the ball more, we don't need quick game as much. Now, when we do pass the ball, it has to be more down the field because we have to make it worthwhile. Why would we make all this effort to make, get a four-yard gain throwing the ball when we get a four-yard gain running the ball and it can actually affect the defenses a little more? I think that's really the trend that might we might start seeing a little bit more. It's just every, that, that kind of just pushing, 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 touchdown to check down kind of uh, philosophical look at an offense. And the other thing that would just to put a bow on this really quickly with the type of speed and the type of throws down the field that might be more prevalent. When you think about how speed was utilized in a world where a lot of teams are playing that more Seattle-based single high, mm-hmm. it's crossers, right? Yep. The speed is across the field and vertical rather than like posts straight down the field. Because against those defenses, the post safety is sitting in the middle of the field. Yep. Now there isn't one. So if you can attack straight down the middle of the field with those throws, that's just long speed and bombs away. And like it's just much different. It's exactly that throw I'm talking about with the Bills against yep. the Chiefs. And it's as opposed to those Seattle cover threes, they would have so much strain on the linebacker to run speed at three to run with yeah. those overs. Now the defenses are top down. It's a safety coming down on the over and wiping yep. it out because as a quarterback, if I'm looking, I see a defense. He's breaking on it. He's breaking on an over out. I'm not going to throw that. But if it's a linebacker trying to run with my receiver or my fast tight end, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and throw him open. I'm going to try and put it over the top. So now, if the safety wants to come down, you're well, right past him. Well, let's go right past him. And now yep. he does, now he's not so eager to come down because he just got torched over the top. And now the over opens up, and et cetera, et cetera. That's the dominoes that fall. All right. Before we move on, which quarterbacks in this draft does this thought process apply to? Like, how does this affect this group and the way that you look at it? And this is what the appeal of Malik Willis is: is that gotcha. he is pushing yep. it down the field. He is willing to throw those throws. And even this is a part of me that likes Desmond Ritter because he is kind of that controlled aggression. And that once in a while, if he sees, hey, he threw the over and that guy broke on it, the next time they run that play, he's going to throw the alert. That's, I, I think that's a way to look at it. alerts. And I've talked about this before. Alerts is usually the first route you're taught on a, on a concept. The alert's usually a post or a go. And it's, it's the quarterback coach's way of kind of talking about both sides of his mouth. Like, because if you throw it and it was a shitty throw or something, hey, remember that was the alert. That's not number one. But then if it's uh, you throw it to number one and it gets smoked by the safety to go, hey, remember the alert. You're supposed to peak the alert first. It's all. It's just a way to do that. But the alerts are live again. So who's willing to throw the alert? Who's willing to throw those posts? And that's the Desmond Ritters of the world and the Malik Willis of the world. And that's that's the appeal of those two guys. All right. So by extension here, let's talk about how this affects the guys catching the ball. Talk about how it affects them throwing the ball. How has this trend and this movement affected the way the demands we're putting on receivers 
and how you're viewing this draft class as a result. Yeah, I got to thank the NFL for getting the offenses to go back to what I grew up with, with, with <laughs> big arm quarterbacks <laughs> and traditional X receivers and, and, and also power slots, but I'll talk about it in a sec, but size and or speed at receiver is back a true X, a guy that can attack vertically. And that just goes hand in hand. You know, who runs those alerts, the X usually on these concepts, they're the ones running the takeoff post, the takeoff go or hitting a backside dig. If they, the concepts going the other way. An X receiver is in a traditional sense. If an offense is in a trips three by one formation, they're the one. If they are in a two by two, the X is usually either going to be the outside receiver and the, the two receiver side, or sometimes they can be on the tight end side, but again, they're going to be the lone receiver on that side. So those kind of that's why the size and vertical speed, so true X's that can run a vertical route tree, the stops, the comebacks, the goes, the digs. That these guys are coming back. The T. Higgins of the world, the Mike Williams of the world. There's a reason Mike Williams had a blow up year this year because, well, one, the Saints, you know, value having a traditional X, but two is just defensive playing them. They're giving these opportunities down the field that, that can attack vertically. So, why that matters is they have to be true ISO ball guys. You need size at that position because they're posting up, they are in the post, throwing the hand up like an old school power forward. These guys are back, back in vogue. And I think what's just, they're always, big receivers are always going to be liked, but I think now it's not so much like, oh, we need this guy to be a four, three, eight twitchy guy. We, we can live with a four, five, five guy because now we're worried more about body size and that they can have build up speed down the field. So I think really just size and speed at those positions, those outside receiver spots is coming back. Um, and then on the other spot is I'm never, never going to miss opportunity to talk about this is power slots are back, but I'll, I'll talk, I'll use that to dovetail into a, the, uh, a later point as well. So when you look at, it's funny because if you look at T Higgins and Mike Williams, they're actually very close comparisons physically, like pre-draft comps. If you look at something like mock draftable, they're in that conversation. So if this group I was looking at, I was like, I wonder how similar like Drake London is to those guys. <laughs> like He's, he, is, he, he is one of their exact comps. <laughs> so there are like very real examples yes. in this, in this group. And like, you can just see it. Like That's the type of player that yep. it may be more in vogue and more necessary in this conversation than he might've been a few years ago. Yep. And it's also, it, it may seem again, kind of obvious like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, you want a true number one receiver and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at some of these guys that have been really, really good receivers in the NFL, like true number one receivers in the NFL, a lot of these guys are spending a lot of time in the slot. Mm. So Devontae Adams mm -hmm. had 78 slot targets this year. All okay. right. That was the 10th most in the league. Tyreek Hill had 94. That was oh, the fourth yeah. most in the league. Cooper Cup was a slot receiver this year. More, he, had, he led the league in slot targets this season. So you have these guys that are number one receivers, theoretically, right? But they're spending a lot of time mm -hmm. in the slot compared to what these traditional X receivers that you're talking about yep. might do. So I think that's important because, it, again, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, of course you need a number one receiver. Yeah. But a lot of in recent years, that number one receiver has been somebody that you can move inside and out. It's yep. been a little bit more. It's, the skill set has been different. Yes. And that's the emphasis always is a guy that can win it because you don't want an outside only guy. But I think now it's they're not as devalued as maybe a couple of years ago. And that goes hand in hand with how, how, how do we say over routes? Where do you guys, where do you put the guy that's running the over route? Number three spot in the slot. In the slot. Yep. Okay. Now as we get, okay, now we want digs and now we want posts and now we want deep comebacks and all that. Those are outside routes. So I think these type, and you know, it doesn't have to be the true number one type, but a valuable guy, a Michael Gallup is a good example as well. He's more six foot six, one ish, but 
you know, a traditional X. That's a, a good way to put it. That's why I'm high on like a guy like DJ Chark, because I think he's going to be more useful in this type of uh, the defenses that they're going to face now. Do you think there are more contested catch situations with the way that defenses are playing yes. right now than there would have been? Why? Just because how defense. Okay. So if I'm in a trips, it's a true one-on-one situation with a yep. guy that's going to, they're taught to play. Over and the even top. with more zone. Yeah. A lot of those looks are true one-on-one man type situations yep. with the way that teams that with the way that that zone plays out. Yep. So that, because it's interesting because there's much less man than there was two or three years ago mm-hmm. in the league. So you think, oh, are there as many tight window throws? But if you are that X, you're still playing against a lot of man-like looks yep. the way that it all plays out. Yep, it's iso ball. And so that's why yeah. contested catches come. If you operate from the slot, whether it's zone or man, just how those routes are, you attack routes, it's not as many contested catches. It's angle routes, it's sail routes. So you can run away from guys more. Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Tyreek Hill. That's 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 what you have to picture. That's any route that he runs. And then if you're a traditional X, uh, I'll just say, or an outside guy, how you can attack is limited in some ways. It has to be vertically based unless it's a slant route. Like that is just how these routes have to be because it's just where you're aligned in the formation. So those become more contested catch box out types of guys. And that's why a great point is, uh, even though we'll talk about receivers on a later podcast, but yeah, the Dra- this class has a good chunk of guys that fit this mold. Who else? Drake London, and then you got the two hurt guys, Justin Ross and George Pickens, who are jo- both could be traditional X's. Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. Um, another one is David Bell, but I'm David Bell, I would prefer he's from Purdue. I would prefer him as a power slot. I compared him to Joshua Palmer from uh that's with the Chargers now from ten- Tennessee. Uh Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, Christian Watson from North Dakota State. These are traditional big body guys that can attack vertically. We will be talking about the receivers mm-hmm. on Thursday. So there was one more thing you wanted to hit on yeah. with the receivers before we got to a different trend here. What was the last thing that you wanted to mention? Yeah, it's emerging of body types. And this is a little bit of theory. And it's going how how we've looked at defenses has been so, so cool. Coaches willing. It's X's on the chalkboard. It's not you're a strong safety. You're a middle linebacker. You are nickel. It is. No, you are a spot on the chalkboard. And why I'm bringing that up is on defensive side, those merging of body types because how defenses are comfortable now treating receiving only tight ends and also with bigger receiver types. Like, like I just mentioned David Bell from Purdue. Um, uh, Chris Godwin is another great example. Alan Lazard, those power slots, my type of guys. But why I'm bringing into merging of body types is defenses are going, Travis Kelsey, Mike Kosicki, you are a receiver. Yes, technically you are in 12 personnel, two tight ends. We are a nickel or dime. We are treating you like a receiver. Okay, so now that kind of F tight end, move tight end in these bigger power slot receivers, it's become almost like a, a hybrid position. It doesn't just have to be a tight end, doesn't have to be a receiver. It's more that 6'2 to 6'4, 215 to 225 pound body type now that we can move around the formation. So I just think it's more of a, it's a blending of styles. It's not styles, but a blending of what they're asking these guys to do. More receivers are getting asked to basically be a de facto fullback on duo and at you run. Um, That's just a, because of the prevalence of 11 personnel. Yep. It's 11 person. Okay. It's trying to get to those runs out of 11 personnel. It's trying to get to but like the Rams have done for the last 11. like five years. Right. Exactly. And now teams yeah. are, everyone's doing it, but also with, with two high defenses is that the safety is back and these receivers have to be dig out the safeties. Say if I am an X receiver and they're too high that if they're in quarters, that safety, the free safety has to come down, fill the run. So now X receivers more than ever have to run in and block guys. 
And same with the slot receivers. Okay, if this this defense we play, how many teams are going big nickel now and having a safety as a slot guy? You know, playing playing with that as the overhang, the star position, however you want to put it. Bigger body type. Well, we need a bigger receiver to block them because if we just have like a Cole Beasley, he's going to get you know he's going to be taking charges all day. Like you know that's what's going to look like. So I think now it's there's an emphasis more on the run game. So now, and there's emphasis on these defensive guys having a whole bunch of 250 to 230 pound defenders. So we need to get these guys bigger as well. So I think there's just going to be kind of a merging of body type. It's more just going to be like, that's the F role, not 11 or 12 personnel. It's just, who do we have as the F, which is the third receiver? If you have a guy like Mike Isicki, who's not a plus blocker, and they're going to treat him like a receiver with the way that they match personnel, what is the benefit of a player like that? That's It's a luxury player. That's what I. That's my hesitation always with crowning a guy like that. They have to be such a mismatch every snap to justify doing that because you it's can, mostly a size mismatch that yes. in that situation, right? So what, where is that effective? The red zone. So how do we get to the red zone? Oh, we got to figure it out because you're handicapping yourself in some ways. You have to have another tight end. You know, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Because now we need a tight end that can actually block and block in line yeah. that defenses are going to honor. Otherwise, we go to 11 personnel with Mike Kosicki. We're in 10 personnel. And defenses are just going to treat us different. And that's why it's so interesting that we're going to talk about this with Deontay a little bit later. But the two two of the guys in the NFL that played the most slot snaps as non-slot corners on defense this year, Devondre Campbell was number one among non-safeties or cornerbacks. And another guy who played a ton of slit snaps in the slot that's not a corner is Jaron Curse. Oh, Both of those guys sense. have 34-inch arms. Yep. So a lot of those guys in that slot role, if you're going to play like that, if the size mismatches the benefit of it, we're going to match that with length yep. is what a lot of defenses are doing, which is really interesting to me. I know. I think that's, to me, the the natural extension of that is I just want a receiver that can block. Yep. Like I, That's what I want to live in now. I would much rather have the Godwins of the world and like MVS now and what he can do for the Chiefs yep. compared to what Tyreek Hill was. Like, the Tyreek Hill's a better guys. player than MVS, but it's there are benefits to those players. Yep. They're, the power slots are the 3 and D guys of football. You are, hey, this guy, if you have a good one, it's going to unlock so much for everybody else. In basketball, it's spacing. In football, it's we can run or pass. It's basically these power slots are becoming what we used to know as the F tight end. So I think it's just like they, it, it's it's the adjuster. That, that's what these this spot's called. So the adjuster is now these guys that are willing to get gritty, the Zach Pascals of the world, of the world. check. We got to mention him on another podcast, so perfect. <laughs> but those guys... Those guys, like those are the guys that are going to be more and more valuable as teams are like, oh, shit, we actually need that. If we want to have a run game that gets more than three yards, four yards a pop, we need a guy that's going to dig out a safety or block a linebacker sometimes. All right. Last one here. What was the last one that you had? Last one was just interior offensive line size. Again, we're getting back to like what I know. And and no shit. You want an offensive guard that weighs 320 pounds that can move. No, like don't get me wrong. But we nah, need, not anymore, though. Not anymore. We need not guy, anymore. Guys now have to be athletic enough to do the zone stuff. But yeah, pass protection is king. Pass protection, protecting the passer is king. And why I'm mentioning that, not just the pluggers, but why I'm mentioning that is because defenses now, everybody has a NASCAR package of some way, shape, or form. It's either it could be a four down, just normal look, but with all four DN types or, or edge types, or it can be what the 49ers did last year. Arden Key is our nose, and we're going to run all these games and move guys around, and all these guys can bring fucking heat. I mean, so, Eric Armstead is their, their base down three technique this yes. year. Now imagine you have a big stiff guard right there that's only can, you know, can't can't pass protect. He's just a run first guy. He's dead, dead in the water because they just can't move with those guys, especially if they have length and they have speed and athleticism that they can take advantage of. So 
I, I don't know. I didn't know how to frame it. I said interior offensive line size, but maybe I think more pass protection from interior offensive alignment and size to hold up against guys that are more of those tweener five technique types that they might bump down on pass rush downs. You bringing this up sent me down a rabbit hole of just like measurables. If you look at it, like the guards who we think were the best guards in the NFL last year, a lot of them. Chris Lindstrom is somebody that came to mind. I was looking through guards drafted in the last mm-hmm. three or four years that have been successful and what their just physical profile looks like, all right? Chris Lindstrom, 6'4", 308 yep. at the combine, Athletic. right? He, ridiculous testing numbers. 98th percentile broad jump, 80th percentile short shuttle and vertical. He was 98th percentile broad jump. 98th percentile broad jump. <laughs> He's explosive. So if you, Makes sense. If you look at the comps to him, Physically in a lot of different spaces. Lance Zerline on his NFL draft profile of Chris Lindstrom pre-draft, yeah. his comp was Joel Batonio. Joel Batonio weighed 302 at the combine. Yep. 95th percentile or better in every single movement drill at the combine was Joel Batonio. Joel Batonio's two closest athletic comps on mock draftable physically are Ali Marpet and Joe Tooney. So hmm. what we've just done is list off four of like the five or six all pro guards one body in the type. NFL <laughs> with one body type from the last two years. Yep. It's it's amazing. When I when I saw it all laid out like that, I was like, holy shit, they're all the same. They are. Like they all are built and move the same. And these are all guys that are 6'3, 6'4, 305 pounds. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that weight all time, the last 20 years of combine data, it's 20th percentile weights. I mean, it's undersized yep. by traditional standards to be that as a guard. And those guys have, over the last three or four years, consistently turned into the best players in the league at that position. It's it's so funny is that, and I've just thought about this when you're talking, is that, it, it, I wouldn't say it's emerging, but it's it, it's speed. Speed's, speed's the name of the game. That's it's Everyone's getting sleeker and more athletic. Every spot's getting more athletic. And every other position's getting... A, I would say smaller, but just more fit. <laughs> you're not getting the sloppy 338 pound only Wisconsin guard that only can block power. You know, you're not getting that anymore. That this is where the Shanahan influence comes through, and it's just this is everybody has to move, and everybody there's reasons that there's that used to be has you couldn't have these 290 pound guards because they'll just get bull rush. Yep. As defenses get lighter, as we talked about with safeties and linebacker body types. And defenses up front, they get lighter. Offenses can get lighter as well. And by lighter, I'm not saying 280 pounds, but just more 305, 302, 300 flat as opposed to 328, 330. But that's why I think that this idea of just space eaters on the interior in order to steal back gaps and just push the pocket Mm -hmm. is a way that you can cheaply find small advantages against players like this. thousand percent. There's a reason Vita Vea is so valuable right now is because who can block him one-on-one if everyone's going to be 290, you know, if everyone, yeah. if you got a white guy weighing 295 at center, you know, that's why those big, big, it's funny. Again, it's full circle. Those guys were going out. Everyone had had pass rush ability for the last decade. It was like, nope, unless they get four sacks at nose, we don't really want them. And now it comes back <laughs> full circle that it's like, no, we actually do want size on the interior because now we don't get that safety down the box. We need a guy that can occupy two. So everybody else can make the tackle or we can make a play on the ball. So this class specifically, uh, it's very, very funny how similar Zion Johnson's testing Zion. numbers are to every single one of these guys. Zion yep. Johnson from Boston College. So he was the guy that jumped out. And then Cole Strange from UT Chattanooga, the other one. Uh, who is, is another interior offensive lineman with great testing numbers, similar to these guys, like right in the same range when you're looking at their overall athletic profile and just percentiles, all that stuff. So yep. it's interesting. All right. 
Ath- yeah, athletes, speed kills, baby. <laughs> this was great. This was absolutely fantastic. All right, we're going to get to Deontay one more time, buddy. Congratulations. Yeah. Very proud of you. Very excited to continue doing this, and uh, I hope you got to enjoy today. Oh, I did. Thank you so much, man. I'm so excited. All right, we'll talk to you later. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I am thrilled now to welcome staff writer for The Athletic. Fuck yeah, that sounds good, Deontay <laughs> Lee. How you doing, my friend? Feeling good, man. It is. Uh, I would have never imagined that by the time I made my next appearance that that's how I'd be introduced. But, you know, things move quickly and I'm glad to be here. 
I, I was so thrilled when I heard that this was a possibility. I have been such a fan of your work for so long. I was pretty open last year about the fact that I thought you were doing work that was as good as anybody uh, in our business. And I am so, so happy that yes. you were a part of what we're doing here. Uh, I called you today yep. and it's, I let you know, like, this is going to be, I'm going to annoy the shit out of you. Like, it, yeah. I'm going to ruin your life with how often I'm going <laughs> to bug you about being on the show and how you yes. can contribute in all these ways because I cannot wait to have you as a part of what we're doing over here. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just you and I, obviously, having Nate on board, Nick Baumgartner, being able to talk with Brugler. Like, there's just so many good things happening just on the draft side. And then as that kind of stretches out in all the rest of the NFL coverage, I'm, I can't wait. I know I've talked to you about this, but. Almost everybody that I like works here. So I'm um, <laughs> looking forward to, uh, you know, kind of touching on as many different things as I can. You're going to be on here regularly and we're going to start today and we're going to do the defensive side of the conversation that we just had with Nate. And we're going to run through just a few different positions mm-hmm. on the defensive side of the ball and how changes in what we expect from that position, what that position looks like could influence and affect the way that we're looking at this year's crop of players. So I want to start with interior defensive line. And I want to pose this question to you off the top. Mm-hmm. How would how do you think what is asked of that position in the NFL has changed over the last two to three years? So this is actually a conversation that I think I've been having over the same span of time, which is after this generation of three techniques leave, do we think that there are going to be any more elite Three techs in the NFL anymore. I love this so much because it's almost an extension of the conversation Nate and I had about quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. where you have like this archetype at the position, and when they age out, is that going to shift? So the guys that you're talking about, right? We've already seen a couple of them leave, like Mm -hmm. Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins was in that conversation. Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald. Yep. And like those are the guys, and all of those guys are 30 or even a little bit older than 30. Right. Like with Fletcher Cox specifically, this this one year deal kind of feels like a golden parachute, right? Like, yeah. this is a thank you for your service, but we know that you're on the way out here. Aaron Donald, obviously flirting with retirement. I'm sure that that's going to be on the horizon soon enough. Even like, you know, your, your Hayward in Pittsburgh, like once these guys start getting into their 30s and he's a little different, though, right? A little bit because you can flex him in different ways. You can make him an edge if you want to. You can do a lot of different things with that guy. He's not the three technique archetype that I'm thinking of with Fletcher Cox. He's more of a pocket pusher too. Right, Right, exactly. The the, the strength he plays with, just like the demands that he can give you is is a little bit different. So that that part is really interesting. So why do you say that? Why do you think that when those guys are gone, we're going to see different sorts of players sift through or come through that pipeline of the interior defensive line? Well, A, I think that First, if you're looking at the college game, just what's matriculating up into the NFL, these body types just don't really exist at that position anymore. Like we're seeing you're either uber heavy, right? We've got all these 315, 320 pound guys, you know, who play from nose out to like a two eyes. So inside shade of the guard. And then you see anybody who's basically not over 300 pounds trying to be an edge. Right. And you look at the only guy in this class, I think that might be able to fit that kind of three technique mode that we're talking about is a Logan Hall from Houston. And he's like 6'6", 260, and he's been basically climbing in weight every year that he was at Houston. And, you know, I'm not even sure how the if you would use him as a three technique in the league because of how big he is, how tall he is. So, you know, as you're just looking at the talent and the pipeline of talent, that's just not what we're getting out of the college game anymore. And I think, you know, similarly to what happens on the offensive end as everybody keeps borrowing from the Shanahan tree, you're starting to see the Vic Fangio tree start to spread. You're seeing, you know, Todd Bowles and that kind of three, four bare front style of defense start to spread. And 
those just don't, those defenses don't ask the same kinds of things of those three techniques. You're not asking those guys to win against guards one-on-one and pass rush situations now, even with the what Rams. What are you asking them to do? It's more pocket push and you want your big run stuffing guys. And I think that this will kind of dovetail into a conversation I'm sure we'll have in the future about what that means for linebackers as well. But a lot of what we're seeing now is speed, less size at the second level of the defense, wanting guys who can move laterally. And if you want guys who can do that, you need bodies on the interior that can eat up space. So you're not going to get your 265 pound three technique who's just got great hands, right? And you can manufacture so much now in the NFL. See all these teams getting to these five down looks on passing downs and you're putting your best pass rushers inside and running all these stunts and things like that. It just doesn't call for, hey, we're just going to line up four guys and you guys are all going to tear off up the field. First one to the quarterback wins it's just not really the world that we live in um in the nfl anymore it's so interesting because the teams that do have these guys like we just talked about a couple of the examples the schwartz eagles played like that yes where it just these are the four guys these guys are coming in the gaps that they're in mm-hmm. it's not going to be hard to predict we know where yep. they're coming from and right. another team that does a lot of that right indy with the forest buckner yes and there just aren't that many examples of this anymore it's why the bears we're going to overspend on Larry Ogunjobi because mm-hmm. that position within that defense is so important, but there are just aren't that many examples of that type of defense in the league anymore. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, when you start looking at free agency as well, look at a team like the Chargers, what do you go out and do? It's not to go find or trade for whatever the hottest three technique is. We'll just invest $15 million over two guys in Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day, and that'll cover ground for the most part. And we'll get the edge rushers if we need to create pass rush. And there are obviously different ways schematically that you can do that as well. It just does not require going out to spend 13 to $16 million on getting the best three technique in the league. That's just not the best allocation of resources right now. So how do you make up the ground in the pass rush game and how you create it then if you don't have that guy giving it to you on its own? So a lot of this, and this was kind of work that I did at my previous place, was looking at how teams like to attack these protections. A lot of it is alignment for starters, right? Like as the league spreads out more and more, and this is another reason why you don't need dominant guys on the interior, the way that you set up protections, and I wish Nate were here because he's he's the master. He's my kind of Yoda <laughs> when it comes to pass protection stuff. Um, as the league gets more and we'll more We'll let you guys out, interact at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure very soon. Um, you know, there's only so many things you can do and pass pro the more spread out you get and the more spread out you get there's more you can do defensively up front to manipulate pass protection so if i as a defensive coach know that i can line up in certain ways where i know what protection i'm going to get i know which one of your guards or centers stinks and i can put my best guy over there and manipulate the protection or i can i know which where your all pro is at and i can just load my front opposite that guy there are different ways that you can go about manipulating the looks that you're seeing for starters. And two, to the point of having pocket pushers and things like that, all I need is late pressure from these guys. I think the teams now are starting to realize not only these quarterbacks, but these offenses are getting more and more efficient at picking up pressures and punishing you for it. Like I just think about the Rams run to the Super Bowl and so much of it was we're just waiting for the moment that you run out of patience and start sending pressure at Matthew Stafford. Bengals and then we're too? just going to hit you over the head every single time with Cooper Cup. And we're going to see that happen more and more across the league as as teams just get better and better at passing the football. So with this draft in mind, how do you think this line of thinking affects that the the players here, where teams are going to look for them, just this group filtered through that lens? 
I think that, you know, a lot of this is kind of wrapped around the conversations that people have been having around Jordan Davis from Georgia for the last however many months, right? How, how valuable is it to have a dominant nose? How valuable is it to have a dominant, you know, four, four eye technique? So a defensive tackle that's kind of stacked over an offensive tackle instead of just aligning in a gap. Um, and, it's interesting, right? At the beginning of the offseason, we were talking about Jordan Davis maybe being a mid-teens type of draft pick. And I still think that you can make the argument that the value is there. It just so happens that the teams that maybe needed him most went out and addressed it by getting veterans on those mid-level deals that I think you and I were talking about before we got on the show, you know, between seven and $10 million. So that's kind of the guy I think that leads the discussion. I do still expect him to be late teens to early 20s just because he's so talented and obviously so athletic. I think it's hard not to try to grab that guy if he's there especially if you're a playoff team looking for surplus value up front and then from there you've got your Devontae Wyatt who I know I've talked with other guys and said that I feel like he he may be considered the best defensive tackle in college football if he didn't have to play alongside the other best defensive (laughs) tackle in football Um, so those two guys I think kind of lead the lead the charge you have Logan Hall who I mentioned who is kind of a tweener type between an edge rusher body wise but you know a three technique in terms of play style then you've got like Travis Jones, who was like some huge 330 pound guy out of UConn, um, who was purely kind of like a run defender, pocket pusher type. All right, let's get to our next thing here. We're going to label this as slot defenders, not mm-hmm. necessarily slot corners, because I think that's an interesting part of this discussion. And when I say to you, what do you think when, when you think of a slot defender in the NFL right now, mm-hmm. who is the first person that comes to mind? Whew, that's rough. Who's the first person that comes to mind? Actually, a guy who just got paid almost $13.5 million to go play for the 49ers is the first name. And maybe it's because I'm looking at it in my notes, and that's your various ward. Um, you think about guys like him, Mike Hilton for the Bengals, played for the Steelers as well. You get those kind of – Russell Douglas, who's another guy I'm looking at, right? whose name I'm looking at right now. I think that when I think of the best or the prototypical corner defenders, I'm thinking of corners. And not just corners, but we're thinking of like some bigger body guys. And I think that that's kind of the, the fascination that I have right now with this position. Um, you're starting to see a lot more of the six foot, six one guys, you know, guys who are 190 pounds. I think that the league is kind of starting to take a little bit more interest in getting guys who are that size closer to the line of scrimmage because of how tight and condensed a lot of these formations are getting. Again, using the Rams as an example, obviously as a team that wins the Super Bowl, they end up driving so much of the conversation, I think, in the offseason. Anytime that the Rams are concerned about stopping the run, you know what they did? They took their number one corner who happens to be the right size, right length, and the right amount of physicality, and you put them in the slot when you want to play cover three and stop the run. You're not putting a Darius Williams there. Now, when it's time to cover the pass, you can put your 180-pound shifty guy Guy who maybe doesn't have long enough arms to press on the outside in the slot and take away things playing cover one quarters all those types of things so that's kind of I think the dividing line that we're looking at in terms of slot defenders is what do you need to stop the run versus what you need to do on third downs or second and obvious types of types of situation so you look at it and one thing I was looking at the slot snap numbers for defensive players at this site called pro football focus and uh <laughs> Jalen Ramsey obviously yeah yeah you're familiar <laughs> I think so Jalen Ramsey obviously up there one of right. the non-corners that actually had one of the highest numbers in the entire league last year was Taylor Rapp mm. so and again the Rams willing to put right kind of unlikely body types into that scenario right a few of the other guys in, in this conversation that were high up there Cam Curl Malcolm mm-hmm. Jenkins Tyron yes. Matthew Jaron Curse. Adrian yes. Amos, Devontae Campbell had 157 slot snaps last year as a linebacker, which it says a lot, lot right? Right. <laughs> it says a lot. So I actually mentioned this to Nate 
when we were talking about the body types that we're going to put in the slot, even as tight ends, right? The fact right. that teams are treating a Mike Isiki or a Travis Kelsey like a receiver now. So the thing that Devondre Campbell and especially J. Ron Curse have in common as that slot defender that's not a corner, they have like 34-inch arms. Yes. So you have this insane length at that position. So as a defensive coach, when you have a player like that or a Derwin James who you're more than comfortable playing in the slot as a safety, what does that do for you? What sort of things does that open up for you to be able to play a guy like that in that role? So if I think of a team as an example, it would be like the 49ers. I think that teams like that. Which Jimmy Ward's want, also in this conversation. By yes. The way. And what that allows you to do is play nickel no matter what the hell the offense puts out on the field. Right. Whether you're in tight formations, whether you're all the way spread out, you know, whether you're in 12 personnel, whatever the case may be, you have a guy that can handle playing at the line of scrimmage or out in space. And that kind of goes back to some of these safety bodies that you were talking about between, you know, your wraps, your Derwin James, um, you have the those kind of tweener types like I was talking about with Mike Hilton, having that length, that size, the ability to set the edge against all these teams who want to run outside zone, want to get in a bunch and run duo, want to get into these tight formations and run these bootlegs, or you're getting these tight ends out in space and one-on-one tackle situations with defensive backs. You don't want your 180 pound guy, you know, who is, who te- who teach, uh, treats tackling as though it's optional, you know, out in the <laughs> flat against some of these bigger body guys, right? You need, you need guys who can really stand up. Um, and I think that that actually kind of makes the conversation about the draft and corners really, really interesting because some of the best slot defenders that are available to me are those smaller bodies. So I do think that there's going to be a bit of tension in what's available versus what these defenses actually need to be the best versions of themselves. So you just think that a guy like that and Darius Williams, I think, is a really good example Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously Troy Hill was a smaller guy that played that role for the Rams. The Rams are so, the Rams are so interesting because they have these guys that are like hyper specific players, which is by design. They, they find those guys that have hyper specific roles and they can draft them later. They can find them later. Mm -hmm. And that's the way they think about value because this guy can't do everything. I'm going to find him in the fifth or sixth round, but he can do one thing. And so the Rams have these guys that physically are outliers, but they've been able to figure out how to use them. So in your mind, those guys who we would typically ascribe as being slot corners, they're not necessarily as valuable because they can't be used in as as many situations Mm -hmm. as they might have been when Cole Beasley was the prototype for slot receiver. Right. When you're worried about Danny Amendola, Cole Beasley, Wes Welker, et cetera, et cetera, when those are the slot receivers that you're dealing with, you can go get those Darius Williams types and fill your fill your entire cornerback room with those types, right? Because it's not as concerning um, what you're going to see. And it's a little bit different when it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, right, that's in the slot. You can't just have some small guy in there when he's going out and rooting out run support and things like that. Um, so one of the things that like I was looking at in this draft class, like those slot defenders that are available, Kyler Gordon, Trent McDuffie, Roger McCreary, all three of them, great athletes, great technicians, great cover players. And they all have one thing in common. Like you said, short arms, right? They're all, you know, sub six foot and all relatively short armed guys. And that makes it difficult for a defense. I think if you do want to live in that, Hey, we're going to be a nickel, nickel personnel team, 78, 80% of the time. You know, we want to play this no matter what, no matter what an offense gives us outside of like very specific situations. 
you probably don't want Kyler Gordon, who is a very good athlete, having to play at the the press point in bunch when duo is coming his way or pin and pull is coming his way. That's probably not the best business model for you. You don't want Roger McCreary having to guard some 6'2 guy in the slot, you know, when offense is getting to those types of looks. So it does just kind of create a little bit of tension, like I was saying. And I, I, I am very interested to see what that means for value for these guys. Like, do that does that drop them into closer to like mid to late second? second round for corners that I think are actually like plus cover guys and really add to you to your coverage profile. What does that mean for the outside cornerbacks market? Right. And how much you have to pay for those guys. Do you have to start looking for outside corners that are Jalen Ramsey types that you can kick inside and have to suck it up and go help you fit the run? Right. That aren't just going to be one on one coverage guys all the time. So that's what I'm really most fascinated by when it comes to this position right now. It's interesting because Elijah Molden is on the other side of this, right? I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about slot corners from last year's draft that ended up Mm -hmm. playing well, and he slotted into that role. I mean, he has has less than 30-inch arms. Right. It's it's kind of wild how small he is, but he was also a third-round pick, right? Mm -hmm. So I I think there's a sliding scale with this and like the types of bodies that we're going to see within that role. Right. I think the la- the the one guy I will say in this draft that I'm really fascinated by based on the tape that he put up is Jalen Petrie from Baylor. And he's another guy who's sub 34 inch arms. I mean, he's 30 and five eighths inch on his arms, shorter than six foot, but he's 200 pounds, right? So he's got enough body, I think, to be able to stand up on the edge. And if you watch his tape, he's able to set the edge really well. Um, obviously playing with Phil Snow and, and Matt Rule before they left for Carolina. He basically played as a Sam backer, moving on to playing for Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts kind of played more as a nickel corner type. And I think that one of the first, he was one of the first guys that kind of stuck out to me when I started watching and preparing for the draft because I saw him and I was like, that is the player. When you talk about play style, that is the kind of guy when you turn on tape and say, we got to have at least one of those types of players on our roster if we're going to be the best version of a modern defense, especially as teams get more and more into these odd fronts, playing more of these split safety quarters, quarter, quarter halves types of structures with the ability to still play man coverage if it's absolutely necessary. On first and 10 Mm -hmm. against a team that lives in 11 personnel, but has that kind of power slot third receiver that Mm -hmm. it has some physicality that has some size. What would your five defensive backs look like in an ideal world? That's, that's a really good question. So if I have my, the entire menu to go off, everybody in the world is available to you. So I would probably say I want Jalen Ramsey outside. Sure. I need my, I need my one-on-one guy. Um, I would say I would like to have a Mike Hilton. I still think the value you get with him as a blitzer and a guy who can play close to the line of scrimmage, I think that, that that's very important. I want a Derwin James playing safety. Again, you want to be able to have guys who can spin down, play in the middle of the field, drop to a half, something like that. Um, I think about uh, Adrian Amos as the other safety that can do something similar. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm, I'm building a, a, a version of a defense that's very rem- reminiscent of your team, uh, their best defensive year. Chicago. Yeah. You had Amos, you know, you have Eddie Jackson. Um, you know, you're, it allows you Bryce to do Callahan so much. Slot corner. Absolutely. I, I think about guys like Teron Johnson with the Bills, another guy who's very versatile. You can play inside, you can play outside in a pinch. Um, Troy Hill is another guy who fits that mold. So that's probably about the five that I'm looking at. You can do a whole lot with that. You can play single coverage. You can play your cover three stuff. You can do all the split safety stuff the guys in the NFL are doing now. Um, and it allows you to be able to stop the run. And I know that it's not the sexy conversation in the world but that stuff matters and it has a great amount of influence on the rest of the way that the defense plays out i just think that and the reason i asked that question is because in an ideal world 
you're still landing on a more traditional slot corner body type. Right. But you need that guy to be able to have some real physicality to Exactly. Him. Even exactly. if he's smaller. And another really good example in my mind is K1 Williams. Yes. He's 5'9", 185. But he is he plays hard as shit. Yes. And Completely like, unafraid. <laughs> and that's the thing is if you can find that guy, it's really important. But it's just a higher bar that you have to clear with mm-hmm. that physicality and run defense if you're 5'9", 185 pounds. Yes, exactly. exactly. All right. Those guys are hard to find. All right. Let's get to safeties here. And again, just kind of kicking this off with a question. And this might be an extension of kind of how we've talked about slot guys a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think safeties are more or less valuable now? than they were when the Seattle cover three world dominated defensive football in the NFL. More or less valuable, man. That's, I will say more, I will say more. um, If for no other reason that playing more split safety stuff means that there's, there's less help in the middle of the field, right? When it's Seattle and you're playing your cover three stuff, not the cam chancellor is not a good cover guy because he certainly was, you know, especially relative to his size. It's just different. It's different when you're 10 to 12 yards deep and guys get basically a free release in the slot to attack you down the field. Um, So I would say it's more valuable, but this is something that Nate has talked to me about that I 100% agree with. You still kind of have to look at them the same way the offenses look at slot receivers, right? Which is that they are more valuable now than they were before, but it still varies based on what you already have on roster and what you think you're going to see from your opponents. So when you look at, you know, some of the safety deals that I'm happiest about, you think about Jordan Whitehead going and getting a guy like him for $7 million, like that's a pretty good pickup. You know, you think about getting a Marcus May, a guy who can do a lot of different things at $7 million. Pretty good move. You know, I'm really interested to see if Justin Reed outside of Houston can find his love for football again a little bit. You know, I, I don't know if we got the best look at him last year. So I'm interested to see what he looks like at $10 million. You know, and then obviously you get your guys who kind of break the bank and Marcus and uh, Marcus Williams getting 14 mil. So that that's kind of those are the guys that I look at and I say like, OK, you see that versatility the same way we were just talking about getting those power slot types that wide receiver. I think that that position is kind of headed in the same kind of direction. So this idea of having more split safety coverages and mm-hmm. having that blur the line between what a safety is, right? right. There aren't the, the walls between the two types of safeties have fallen down 100%. compared to what they used to be like, right? 100%. So you have to be able to do more, mm-hmm. but think about just like what is asked from a post safety physically and how right. much range you have to have and just where physical talent, explosiveness, all of that stuff factors into that position compared mm-hmm. to what it means when right. you're living in more of a split safety world. Even if you're asked to do more, what I'm leading you toward is, mm-hmm. do you think that there are more of those guys available in the world? Because that's my thing is that I don't know if they're less valuable, Mm -hmm. but I do think there's the scarcity isn't there because you can have a Jordan Fuller who runs a four, six, whatever. Yes. But because it's more about recognition, Mm -hmm. versatility, all these other things, I don't need a guy that's truly elite in one category that I have to spend on. I need a guy that's pretty good at a lot of things and is very smart. And you can find that guy in the fourth round. 100%. And I also think that 
you can kind of see that reflected in conversations around Kyle Hamilton. Because if you think about This is what I was bringing you to. (laughs) Yes. If you think about, you know, the way that you think about Kyle Hamilton, right? The concept of Kyle Hamilton leaving Notre Dame prior to the combine, nobody could be convinced of anything other than, you know, this is going to probably be the best defensive back available in the draft. And then to still go put up a 4-6, and basically nobody budges, right? There's no budging on anything. Nobody is looking any away from the tape, you know, because if you turn on the tape, what you'll see is a guy who can do a hundred different things, given whatever defense you're calling. He can blitz. He can cover. He can help you fit the run. He can play in the slot. He can play in the middle of the field if you need him to. He can play in quarters, you know, all those different things. So to your point of being mentally prepared to carry out the duties um, and then obviously having that length, that athleticism, just crossing a certain baseline, the same way we talk about slot receivers. I feel like I'm going to keep circling around to this, right? Where if you just if you are able to get over the hump in terms of an athletic threshold and then mentally you're there and you have that versatility in your in your toolkit, you're going to be extremely valuable. Um, and I do think that that kind of that maybe lends um, to your art, lends itself towards your argument that it's just hard to find those elite top tier Adrian Amos types that, you know, run run like the wind and can cover everybody in the world. Um, those guys are hard to come by. So if you can find a guy who can run four six, like you said, and be able to play in the box, play on the quarters, um, get in the middle of the field if you need to. You can't say enough about trying to fill out the middle of your defense with players like that. What do you think, if we're talking about things in your toolbox, arrows in your quiver to add to value as a safety? Mm-hmm. Outside of being able to play those, have versatility and be able a little bit more nebulous in terms of your actual position, right? It's just the safety. Right. What is the one skill set that you think lends the most to increasing your value at that position? <sighs> like what does Kyle a- Hamilton do that you think makes him break the mold? I would say it all comes back to recognition, right? I was going to use a blanket term that I hate using like ball skills, things like that, but <laughs> it, it is just a matter of recognition, right? Like when you think, when you watch Kyle Hamilton, the one thing that always jumps out to me, and maybe this is why I expected him to run faster than the time he actually put up is that you can see the foot hits the ground and he turns and he points and he's out of there and he's going to get to the football before the football gets to where it needs to be. Um, and that comes down to your film study, your recognition, Understanding your role. How do, how do offenses like to attack you? If I'm in the flats and cover three, these are the route concepts we see. Um, I keep coming back to the same teams that play in the NFC championship. When I, when you look at the 49ers, they played a ton of zone, right? But the reason why it never hurt them was that. It, Every one of their defensive backs knew, hey, when we make this call, this is where we're weak. Linebackers, we need you to get to this depth. Slot they share defender, a fucking we, brain. It's yeah, crazy. Absolutely. It is 100% hive mind and coverage. You know, the second you see a guy get to certain depth, you see all kinds of movement happening on a string. And those are the types of guys that you're looking for at the safety position. Again, using the 49ers is damn near like they have five safeties on the field um, working together. Seven, if you consider the linebackers, really. So this is why. I think that safety and to a certain extent linebacker, which you and I are going to have a more considered conversation about next week. 100%. This is why it reminds me of the way that we talk about centers on offense, where it's not that that. the value is depressed. It's that you can't see how they're valuable in its quiet ways. Right. Right. I, if I, if this, if to understand how good a guy is going to be at the position, I need to sit down and have a 45 minute conversation with him. That's mm-hmm. how you're going to be able to find players two rounds later right. than you might otherwise because their ability and their strengths are more difficult to identify. Right. And I think that safety, linebacker, and center, it's all the same to me. It's not that they're devalued in how your offense or defense works. Mm-hmm. It's that you can find them 
at a discount. You can find them later because it's not based on some outlandish physical characteristics all the time. Right. And I actually, I love that because the first thing that came into my mind is Alex Mack and Kyle Shanahan, because Kyle Shanahan has basically just decided I will not run my offense without Alex Mack. (laughs) I I do not want, I do not, now that I've had this guy, I do not ever want to live in a world where I don't have him as my center. I think about Jason Kelsey playing for the Eagles, right? And what he's been able to do. um, Yes, exactly. And going to get those guys who have what you're talking about above the shoulders and understanding of the game, that calming presence, you know, all these different, you know, platitudes that we might hear from coaches is because this stuff is hard to quantify. If you don't sit down with the center, you don't sit down with the safety and talk about, hey, when you made X, Y, or Z player, when I'm seeing you point at this guy, I don't know what that means looking at it from my TV, but clearly this has a value that you can extricate over the entirety of a season that just adds so much to what you can do offensively and defensively. So I like that too, using using safeties as a kind of a, an alley, um, excuse me, a comparison point between, you know, safeties, wide receivers or slot receivers and centers. I can definitely see that. I was talking to a coach last year in the pre-draft process about how they scout and how they identify talent at safety. And they were telling me that they'll, when they're in draft meetings and they'll sit down with players, mm-hmm. literally stop the tape half a second before the routes start to distribute. Right. And ask guys like, all right, what do you think? Based mm-hmm. on what you're seeing here, what is going right. to happen? Why is this guy going to go to this place? Like mm-hmm. That half second after the ball is snapped and before route dis- routes start to distribute based on down, distance, formation, right. personnel, all that shit. If you can identify that, that has extreme value even compared to how athletic you are. Yes. And again, that's only something you can identify if you sit down and have that conversation. Right. 100%. And that's what separates guys like a Marcus. That's why Marcus Williams can go get $14 million, you know, and be, you know, four or $5 million ahead of the rest of the market that was available in free agency this year, because he's one of those guys where you can turn on your all 22 and you can see like, okay, there's maybe seven or eight good defenders on the field, but that one guy is moving differently, or he feels like he's a quarter (laughs) to half step ahead of everybody else. He sees it at a different rate than other people. It's like having and a high easy. resolution computer, right? Where you get to that different frames per second. You know, you start the, the game starts to work a little bit differently for you when you have that kind of clarity in your vision. Four, five, six, forty. By the way, he's moving differently because of the way he sees things, not the yes, way that he's that been he runs yes. gifted from at birth. Right? Is there 100%. anyone else outside of Kyle Hamilton that you think fits into this conversation at the safety position? The kind of you're viewing it through this lens as you're thinking about this class. Probably my favorite player in the draft, and that's Lewis Seen. Like, that is the other guy that I look at and I say, like, he can do it all. And obviously, like, I am biased because of my admiration for Kirby Smart and, and you know, guys off of that Nick Saban <laughs> tree. But to me, it, it, said, it always has said so much to me that as a freshman safety, he was being used in important roles um, at the University of Georgia. And when you turn on the tape, you see all the things that we're talking about. And, you know, I think that my first preconceived notion was that, oh, he's just a box guy. He's just a tackler because you see him tackle a lot. And you turn on the tape and you're like, no, he gets a bunch of tackles because he's always where he's supposed to be. <laughs> he always sees where the play is going. Um, and he's able to do so much within that defense. And he added a bunch of value, not only as a coverage guy, but being able to come down close to the line of scrimmage and play in the box as well. Um, and I would the thing that I've been kind of beating the drum on that I've been telling all of my little draft buddies is that the gap between Lewisine and Kyle Hamilton is much smaller than the gap between Lewisine and every other safety in the class. So I don't think that they're equals. I would not say that they're equals, but I will say the scene is much closer to being a Hamilton level prospect than any of the other safeties that are available. 
Because my first response would be, that's why you don't spend a top five pick on a safety, is that Lewisine might be available 20 picks later. Oh, 100%. 100%. But in your mind, there's a gap, though. It's not that there's a gap between what you can find in Lewisine and what you can find with everyone else. I believe so, especially when you start talking about the returns you're going to get while a guy is on his rookie contract. I still don't know. You know, maybe you can grab a guy like that at the end of the first round if you're one of those contending teams looking for surplus value again. But I think ideally you would like to get a Lewisine guy, you know, in the second, third round type of range. Hey, we've already addressed our number one need and we're just not going to let a guy that's as good as Lewisine leave, you know, this position in the draft, you know, without being on our team. So I, I would say if you don't miss, if you miss out on Kyle Hamilton, there is no reason to be shedding tears as long as Lewisine is still on the board. Yeah, it's the safety position. I think it comes back down to this is that it's not about value. It's about right. surplus and scarcity. Yes. Like if, the, if you can find a guy that can, we've talked about this so many times. Top five picks, top 10 picks. You want to draft guys that you can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Like Jordan Davis, we can have a million different conversations about value and role and fit and how the, where the league is going. There is one person on planet Earth who is yes. built and moves like Jordan like Davis. That. Literally yes. one. And right. at safety, there are so many guys who can do the things physically that we're asking safeties to do in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. And again, doesn't mean they're less valuable. It just means there are probably more people capable of filling that role and i think that that's what i've tried to like drill in my head is that right. even if i don't want to draft safety in the top 10 it's not a devaluation of safeties it's exactly. about the amount of human beings that can do the things physically i'm asking them to do within the defense 100 i mean if i ask you to close you've been doing this for a while if i ask you to close your eyes and describe the athletic profile of a safety you'd probably say between 511 and 61 runs a 455 you know weighs this amount and we could pull it up on mock draftable and you would be in the 95th percentile of basically every safety that that has ever played in the nfl right like those guys are available and then you know the the biggest difference is just what we were talking about earlier it's who has that mental acuity to be able to take their athletic ability and maximize it in a way that you just don't see from the other guys at that position. All right. That's all we got. I am so glad that you're going to be doing this with us all the time. You'll be back next week. We're going to chat more about defense. I'm going to let you talk about offense sometimes. Like I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to appreciate it. it. Yeah. I would love that. (laughs) I would love that. I I want to go, I want to piss Nate off a little bit and and mess something up. (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be great when you're starting to show him up as far as receivers and route combinations and protections (laughs) and all that shit. Right. All right, bud. Really good to chat with you. You'll be back next week and you'll be here all the time. It's so good to have you on the team. Thank you, sir, man. We will talk soon. Speaking of being on the team, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, I tweeted about this earlier. Um, I am also going to be here for a little while. I agreed to a new contract with The Athletic last week. Um, so I will be the host of The Athletic Football Show for at least the next few years here. Uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about what we have on the horizon uh, here going into year three. I mean, the show's only been <laughs> a show for 18 months. And for all the support that you guys have given us, I'm just eternally grateful. Um, it's been so fun to watch this thing grow and to build it with friends and to be given an opportunity to really stretch our legs and do something that we believe in. And the how it's resonated with you guys and the fact that you guys have made it possible means the world to us. I cannot wait to trot out what we're going to have here in the third year with everybody that we now have on board. We've got some stuff on the horizon that I'm extremely excited about. And I can't wait to show it to you guys. So thank you very, very much for being with us every step of the way here for your support, for your belief. Uh, It's been a really gratifying experience and we are truly just getting started. So thank you very, very much. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back Wednesday. 
with me and Lindsay. We're going to do a look back at last year's draft class. What can we learn? What stuff stood out? So really excited about that conversation with Lindsay. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'd really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. That's the only place you can now read Nate Tice and Deontay Lee and their draft takes. So please, if you do not have a subscription, this is the time to get one. Theathletic.com slash football show. I'm telling you, you guys will not regret it. The Beast, Dane's Draft Guide, also comes out this week. That is worth the price of your subscription on its own. So highly encourage you guys to go do that right now. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.